Hello, and welcome to the Slow Style Home Podcast. If you don't want a cookie-cutter, generic home, and instead you want a beautiful, meaningful home that's layered with personality, then you are going to be so inspired by the conversations we have on this show. We talk about why the environments we create matter and how to set up our rooms to evoke specific feelings and experiences that are right for you wherever you are in your life right now. I'm Zandra, your host and creator of the Slow Style Home Framework that teaches you how to make really thoughtful and informed decisions about your home rather than chasing current trends that may not last or staying stuck with rooms you hate, feeling overwhelmed with too many choices. Right now, when you join our monthly membership, the Slow Style Society, you'll get a personalized deep dive into your vision of what a dream home looks and feels like. And together, we'll come up with a plan on how to achieve that. If that sounds pretty awesome to you, go to slowstylehome.com and click on Join the Society for all of the details. I'll tell you a little bit more about it later on. Right now, let's just jump into today's episode. Hey there, are you ready? Are you ready? Because today is the day when you start figuring out how to create a home you love. Right now, with what you already have and in the home you are currently living in. I'm Zandra, your host of the Style Matters podcast, brought to you by Little Yellow Couch. And listen, I truly believe that you shouldn't put off living inside something beautiful and energizing and nurturing for some kind of imaginary perfect life that is somewhere in the future. You need those things right now. So for this show, we talk about how to create a home that feels meaningful and works beautifully. If you're listening because you're overwhelmed by conflicting advice and too many choices, or you're listening because you've never felt very creative when it comes to decor, or maybe you're here because you're just as obsessed with design as I am and you can't wait to dig into creating that beautiful home, welcome. This community of listeners is your people. You found us, and I am so glad you're here. Now, before we get started, I want to thank today's sponsor. Sponsors are part of the reason this show can stay on the air and keep bringing you great interviews. So thank you so much to Annie's Kit Clubs. Annie's Kit Clubs enable you to add handcrafted elements to your home with everything delivered to your door. They specialize in DIY crochet, knit, and sewing projects, and they also have a few other kinds of kits as well. These are beginner-friendly, but also range into every skill level. For example, they've got this Afghan Block of the Month Club, where you'll crochet your own heirloom quality Afghan, 
featuring a unique pattern for each block. So you'll be learning or perfecting dozens of stitches while creating a beautifully textured final blanket. Each kit includes all the yarn and patterns to crochet three new blocks per month. You crochet 30 blocks in all, and your 11th kit walks you through finishing your afghan. I love the pacing of these projects. You just do a little at a time so that a big project like an afghan doesn't feel so overwhelming. And here's the best part, okay? Annie's is offering listeners of this podcast 75% off the first month of a kit subscription. That's right. 75% off your first month using promo code STYLEMATTERS75. Now, I've had a lot of sponsors in the past. Nobody's offered anything like this before. You can use it on any monthly subscription. If you or your best friend or your mom, your babysitter, kids, anyone you know loves to do a DIY project, this is perfect. Just go straight to annieskitclubs.com and use the code STYLEMATTERS75 at checkout. Again, that's annieskitclubs.com and use STYLEMATTERS75 at checkout. All right, let's jump into today's episode. I am so honored to have Peter Walsh back on the show. I first encountered Peter as the organizing guru for Oprah in O Magazine. And like the rest of the magazine, Peter took a soul-searching, tough-love approach to getting rid of our clutter so that we can live a more abundant life. And he hasn't stopped. His mission to truly help people buried under their stuff has led to TV shows. Maybe you remember him from Discovery's Clean Sweep or Extreme Clutter on the Oprah Winfrey Network. He's also the author of many books, my favorite of which has always been, Does This Clutter Make My Butt Look Fat? (laughs) But his most recent book might be my new favorite. And today, that's mostly what we're talking about. It's called Let It Go downsizing your way to a richer, happier life. Downsizing is its own beast, a bit different from just your general decluttering project. And for many people, the idea of downsizing not only feels overwhelming, it can be depressing. It can come with some, my life as I know it is over kinds of feelings. Add to that the challenge of downsizing for someone else, let's say an aging parent or dealing with the stuff left behind after a parent has passed away, and it's enough to make anyone want to stick their head in the sand. But as you'll hear today, downsizing can actually lead to a happier life if we follow Peter's approach. And I'll just let you know right now that this episode is a bit longer than usual. That's because Peter and I really strip things away at the end of our conversation and talk very frankly about how much unnecessary stuff is in the world and the damage we're doing to ourselves and whether or not we're taking responsibility for it. So as Betty Davis would say, buckle up, it's going to be a bumpy night. All right, here is Peter. Peter Walsh, it is my pleasure to have you on the show again. Welcome back. It's my pleasure to be here, even though chronologically it's been quite a while, but in my head it seems like it was just yesterday, which is so insane. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, it has been a while, but you are always front of mind because (laughs) whenever anybody says to me, ah, I need help with this stuff, I need help with all of this stuff in my house, I say, just read Peter Walsh, just any book, (laughs) just pick a book, 
<laughs> your problems will be solved. Well, that's that's very generous of you. I don't know if it's quite that easy, but thank you. I think I think COVID has done a bit of a job on all of us, and it's been a, in some ways, it's been a global reset for everyone. Yeah. And I think the need to nest. I think the need to re-examine space. I think the need to look at what home means for everyone has really forced people in a lot of ways to re-examine what their stuff means and how mm. important home is. And I think if there is a silver lining to COVID, it has to be that, that, you know, we've, we're all looking at, at what our homes mean and how important, you know, our, our space is to us. Yes, uh, 100%. And it's not going away. I've been doing a little bit of market research recently. And, you know, COVID's been been around long enough now that it, it's making some permanent changes, I think, to the ways in which we view our homes and are going to be living in them. If not permanent, then decades long, uh, it, it, it's going to affect us. I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean the way in which we live in our homes. And you just mentioned silver linings. And I have to say that that's one of the things that I loved about the book we're mostly going to be talking about today. But before we jump right into that, I just want to get a little personal story from you. The last time you were on the show, you had mentioned at the end, I don't even remember if this was part of the recording or if you were just talking with us at the end, that you just started coming up with this kind of new concept for a book. And and what was happening with you personally um, it was a big upheaval in your life. So I wonder if you could tell us that as sort of to set the stage for where this book com- came from and where you are at that time in your life. Sure. I, I think that, I mean, it was, well, how long ago was that? That was probably about three years ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah, at least. Yeah, at least three or four years ago. Look, I, um, at that stage, I've been working in, in as a professional um, organizer for about 16 years. I've been doing it now. Yeah, for 20 years. So it must be about four years ago, I guess. And it was just at the time my mother had recently passed away. I have three brothers and three sisters. I'm one of seven kids. And um, it had been a very interesting time because we had um, worked on, as a group, the seven of us, uh, basically dealing with everything that was in my parents' home. And (laughs) it, yeah, yeah. I I heard that little gasp. You sound so calm as you're saying it. Oh, well, yes. That's what... It's what uh, medical intervention will do. Um, <laughs> and so um, it, was a, it was an interesting kind of um, exercise in that it was a combination of both, you know, nearly 20 years experience helping others, working mm-hmm. to de- downsize, declutter and organize their homes. But it also was a very personal experience in dealing with stuff that was, you know, very familiar and dealing with the emotions that come with, dealing with family belongings. And um, out of that experience, I wrote the book, Let It Go, Downsizing Your Way to a Richer, Happier Life. And um, it was impossible really to step back from the experience because I was so fully immersed in it. Right. And, um, and out of that came um, a very personal book that looks at how to go through downsizing and come out of the kind of not broken, not damaged, Mm. Um, Mm. and how to use it, um, how to deal with it as a really positive experience. Because at the moment, I guess there are two experiences of downsizing. Let me take a slight step backwards. Sure. Um, There's the experience of of doing it yourself where 
with 250,000 Americans turning 65 every month. I mean, it's a massive number of people yeah, retiring, you know, moving into retirement age every month, 250,000. And the vast percentage of those who say that the reason that they don't or can't downsize is because they have too much stuff. Right. There's, there's that experience of downsizing. And then there is, for boomers, um, there is the double whammy of them wanting to do it, but then also ex- going through the experience that I and my siblings went through um, of dealing with parents' stuff who are either moving into uh, retirement villages or, or passing away, essentially. Um, so yeah. there are two separate sets of, um, of needing to downsize. And in the case of many boomers, dealing with both simultaneously. And right. the, book, the book deals with that because often if it's for oneself, the concept of retirement, the concept of downsizing is usually seen as a lessening, as a, as a negative thing, as mm-hmm. a, you know, as a, um, as a giving away, as a, well, as a putting oneself on the shelf and being put out to pasture. Yes, and, that, that's a huge emotion that yeah. I think people go through and they feel very lost and, yeah, yeah. so keep and, going. And, and it overwhelms and paralyzes people. And for yeah. me, um, I think it needs to be seen in exactly the opposite way, <laughs> that, that for many people they move into retirement and see the whole concept of, you know, the last, well, let me ta- give you one more statistic. Yeah, at the moment, the average life expectancy is 87 years. Okay. Just 100 years ago, the average life expectancy was 47. <gasps> wow, that's half. Yeah. So many people now and many people's mindsets aren't equipped to, to kind of understand that when they reach retirement age at 65, they still have at least another 20 years of living to do. And so for so many people that I see, upon retirement and downsizing and and moving into that next phase of their life, they sit at home and their homes become a memorial Mm. and a shrine to everything they have done in the past Mm. instead of, downsizing and letting go of so many of those things from the past and now stepping into an exciting, fun, invigorating next 20 years of living. Yes. It's such a, it's a, it's an abundant kind of mindset. It's a, a, yeah. a, a yeah. willingness to, we, well, you've just said it, let go in order to make room for the next thing. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's the thing lovely. Is, yeah, and in every previous stage of your life, you willingly let go of things to move to the next phase. From childhood to adolescence, you let go of all of the stuffed toys. From adolescence mm-hmm. to young adulthood, you let go of all the movie posters on your wall. Yeah. From young adulthood to work life, you let go of all of those, um, you know, hip clothes, right. you, wore, you know, from young when you adulthood. you were skinny. Yeah, from young, <laughs> exactly. From young adulthood to, to relationship to parenthood, you, you let go of those Saturday nights when you stayed out till 6 a.m., and then went to work at 9 a.m. Right, because no you sleep. could. Yeah, exactly. 
And then if you think about it, and then then as empty nesters, you let go of being overprotective of your kids. Mm. And go, like if you think of it, at every stage of your life, to move to the next stage, you let go willingly of things. And yet moving into retirement, there is this massive level of resistance mm. to let go of things to move to the next exciting phase. Mm. And then add on top of that, having to go through that process with your parents' stuff too. Exactly. Oh my gosh. And so, so that's, that's it, it, it needs a massive mind shift to, to look at what is it that we want? Because most, most people in raising kids, in putting their focus into their work, in developing home and family, completely forget themselves, especially women. And I know that sounds incredibly misogynistic, <laughs> but, it, but they forget who they are and what they want mm. because they channel so much of their energy and their focus into family and relationship that suddenly, and I see this all the time, they, they, they fall into this crisis when their kids leave home. Yes. That they look at their husbands and, and partners do this. After 25 years of marriage, they look at their partner, 30 years of marriage, and they don't know who they are. Right. Who am I? Who are we? What do I want? What do we want? And the only thing they have in common is the stuff they have in their homes. Oh. And it's either terrifying and paralyzing or it's exciting and catapulting. You choose. We'll be back after a quick break. I assume you're here because you want a one-of-a-kind, personality-filled home, right? Well, in order to have that, you need to define and develop your signature style. When you do that, you're going to understand how to mix what you already have with new things you find, focusing on who you are and what you love, putting it all together in a cohesive way. So what's stopping you? Well, let me know if this sounds about right. Not enough time, not enough money, and a lack of creativity or design knowledge, which makes you feel overwhelmed and insecure about pulling the trigger and changing things up. This is why I created the Slow Style Society, to help you take action on making your dream home a reality. It's part social club for people who like to just geek out on design and part hands-on learning experience where you get better and better at making decor decisions for each room in your home. And for the next few weeks, I'm offering all new members an additional one-on-one -on -one style session with yours truly. So I'll take you through the lessons so you know exactly what to focus on inside the Slow Style Framework in what order, and you'll have a personalized support system from me to get you there. Go to slowstylehome.com and click on Join the Society so we can get started right away. Let's not wait for that imaginary perfect time to create your beautiful, meaningful home. Again, go to slowstylehome.com and click on Join the Society. Okay, back to the episode. Right, and no wonder there's so much emotional upheaval that's yeah. attached to all of this, which is why 
this book and frankly, all of your books are, are like this. There, there is so much mindset shifting that you mm-hmm. encourage us to do. And you have through all of your work over the past 20 years. And, and, you know, it's, it, it just underlines how much our stuff is connected to our identities, yeah. both for the good and the bad. Look, absolutely. And it's never about the stuff, the stuff right. we own has power because everything in our home represents who we are and what we have achieved. Our, it, it represents the, the milestones in our life, the milestones in our parenting, in, in, in our work, in our work achievements. And then suddenly work stops, parenting stops, everything in terms of what we see as our achievements stop. Mm-hmm. What's next? We have a choice either to, to look at what we're going to move on to or to stop and dwell on what we have achieved. Right. And it's much easier to sit and reflect than it is to get up and move on. Yes, absolutely. There are some very common obstacles people face when they're downsizing. And sure. I, these are kind of emotional uh, resistance obstacles, yeah. I, I guess. So uh, you outline them and you go into them in great detail in the book, but could you just touch on them for us right now? What sure. each of those obstacles are? Sure. Look, the, f- the first, and I think the biggest one is, look, I, you know, I can't downsize because if I do, I'll be losing something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the most common one. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll be losing everything I've built up. I'll be losing the things that are important. And, and I think, um, you know, I've spoken of this in different ways in the past in terms of what I call memory clutter. You know, <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be losing the memories because when I look at something, the things that I own have memories attached. And right. the fear is that if I let go of these objects, I'll lose the memory. Letting yes. go of, of all of these memories or worse still, dishonoring all these people that these things represent. Mm, and so mm-hmm. you have to deal with that or, or letting go of the dreams that some of these objects represented that you never achieved. Oh. And the truth is, you know, the object is not the memory. So that, you know, so you have to deal with that. It's very emotional. I'm not suggesting that the downsizing is easy. Right. And I'm not suggesting that it's not a tough process, but, but, it's, but it's worth going through to get to the other side. Um, you know, the second one is, um, you know, I don't have time. I, don't, right, I just don't one, have yeah. time to do this. I'm so busy. <laughs> I don't have time. But, um, you know, you give time to what you believe is important and you are important. The longer, the longer you put this off, um, the, the more the stuff you own holds you back from moving mm. on to the next phase. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't have time is exactly what your your teenager used to say twenty <laughs> years ago when they were fifteen years old, and you used to say, "Go and clean your room." How is that any different from you as a sixty five year old saying, "I don't have time to deal with my clutter"? It's exactly the same. It really is. Yes. Um, you know, and, and the third one is you know the fear of the family dynamics, and you know that's that's a big one. You know, the fact is that the moment you start dealing with especially your your parents' stuff, um, you know, and I, I have a whole section in the book about what I call the people you meet when you are downsizing because, yes. because the truth is if you start dealing with stuff with your siblings particularly, everybody reverts to their to their 15-year-old <laughs> self. Right. 
And you said you in the book you said there's these seven personalities, these seven people you oh, need don't, when don't, you're doing I this. I got into so much trouble about I that. I bet you did. I mean, seven seven people, you your family of seven kids. I'm don't guessing, be ridiculous. I'm don't guessing be ridiculous. there's some parallels. Don't be ridiculous and suggest there's any parallel there. <laughs> I am. Um, are you still on speaking relationships with your siblings? Well, I'll tell you a funny story about that. My my <laughs> husband uh, manages the business side of our of our company, and he also proofreads all of my books. And he was in another room reading the first text, the first draft of the book, and I and I heard from the other room, "Are you out of your freak?" Well, that's not quite freaky. That's not quite right. the word to use. Are you out of your freaking mind? He yelled at me. You could have at least changed the birth order when you so. <laughs> So, so, um, yes, you know, everyone has a different personality. Well, they range from, you know, the controlling person. And my oldest sister, um, you know, as the oldest is very controlling and all the way down to the youngest of my siblings, who has always been a very funny guy and is kind of the jokester to, you know, the jokester who always just wants to deflect and make a joke out of everything to, to my brother who who found the death of my parents very difficult and was just mm. the denier, you know. Mm. He didn't. And so there are seven types of people and the book talks about, you know, helps you to understand why people come from that mindset and the scripts that you might use to better, instead of arguing, just how better to understand and deal with that mindset. Oh, it's so helpful, yeah. so incredibly helpful. And, yeah. and then the last obstacle is just understanding and dealing with the fact that this whole process for you and for others will be and has to be and always is emotionally painful. Mm. Um, and you, you need to go into this understanding that, of course, it's going to be. Mm-hmm. It's a whole new step for you. And if you're dealing with family stuff and the passing of, of someone near and dear to you, it's going to be difficult and it's going to involve three main emotions that largely are sadness, Mm-hmm. and anxiety and often a sense of guilt over things. Mm. Um, and that's natural. And there will be conflict. Right. Um, and so you have to go into this and come at this from a place of love. Before we continue with the conversation, I want to jump in here for a minute and introduce you to my slow style approach to creating a home you love. Just like it sounds, slow style means taking your time and letting your home evolve by responding to what's going on in the rest of your life and reflecting who you are and who you want to become. Now, I know that sounds really abstract, but I don't want you to think that slow style means you're just waiting around for inspiration to strike. I know you need practical, hands-on ways to actually develop your signature style. And that's what I'm passionate about, taking the mystery out of creative thinking when it comes to design and helping you define what your dream home actually looks like. And the best way to start is to get really clear on what your style is. Now, I'm not talking about style categories like I'm farmhouse or I'm boho. I'm talking about a one-of-a-kind definition that is very specific to who you are. And we've got a blueprint that will help you do just that. It's our free style guide. I'll walk you through some questions and get you thinking about how you want to show up in your home. Just go to littleyellowcouch.com and click on the free style guide button right there on the homepage. I can't wait to see what you come up with. And I'm going to ask you, so don't be surprised when we start having a back and forth conversation about your home. I'm all in and I hope you are too. 
All right, let's get back to the episode. You say that basically the only way to do this is to face it, to walk through the fire to get to the other side. And, and I think the flip side of that is that if you don't go through the kind of process that you're talking about, you're going to be shouldering a level of grief that's, that's even deeper. I have a very good friend here. He tells the story of his dad who his grandfather, his father's father, passed away and left a house full of clutter mm. um, and a lot of sentimental items. And his dad and his brother spent three years going through the house. Mm. And by the three time years, Jeez. three years. And by the time his dad and his uncle finished going through it, his father hated <gasps> his grandfather. Oh. And he said it was terrible. By the time the three years was done and he had spent those three years going through the his dad's his grandfather's home, his relationship with his dead father had deteriorated to oh. a point that he just couldn't even speak of his own father. You know, there's a saying that the best gift you can leave your children is, is an empty house. Oh, yeah, and, I believe you that. Know, there's a lot of truth to that. What can we say to somebody, either it's our own parent or our partner, who is just not on the same page? They really have their head stuck in the sand. They're, they're like you said, people, the, the number one reason people don't downsize is because they have too much stuff, which is insane that that's the reason that where am I going to put my, you know, boxes and my extra furniture and all that kind of stuff. How do we have that conversation with people? Well, I don't think it's a conversation about stuff. I think it's a conversation about love and legacy. Mm. You know, you, you can't force a person to do anything. You know, people, people have this. You know, people ask me this question all the time, you know, how do I make someone do this? Well, the truth is you can't. You know, when my mum started to get frail, she was living by herself and um, she had had a couple of minor falls and she was in her late 80s and very independent. And the six of us, seven of us met and decided that mum needed to go into assistant living. We all agreed mm -hmm. that that's what we, she would do. We were all committed to that. We all met with her. I remember to this day in the dining room of her home mm -hmm. and my sixth brother, and we said, mum, this is what we've decided. This is what we should do. And she didn't want it to do it. And my six brothers and sisters all folded, like in front of my <laughs> eyes, they all folded. And my older sister said, well, we all agreed then that mum, you can stay here in the house. And it was oh, like, no. no, I was like, no, no, that is not what we agreed at all. <laughs> And I said to mum, I'll agree if you can walk out to the mailbox and get the mail and bring it back into the house. Oh. I'll agree. And she couldn't. Oh, wow. And um, she couldn't do that. And we agreed that she would have to stay in the house until something catastrophic happened. Uh. We, because you can't, we could not force her. And, and the truth was she stayed in the house until she had a terrible fall. She got mm. up to use the bathroom at 3 a.m., tripped on a rug, fell and broke her hip <laughs> and she had to be taken by ambulance at 3am to hospital and ended up being put into, um, a, you know, um, assisted living and never came out of assisted living. Right. But, but, but you, it's a great story for the rest of us to say, is that how I want to leave my house for the last time? That, and the answer is nobody wants to do that. And that's right. why I say it's about love and legacy. Don't start with the stuff. And that's why in the book, let it go. The focus is on, instead of looking at all the stuff, and again, this is a major focus of the book in terms of process, start looking at, at what I call the treasures. 
Mm. So what are what what are items are the best of the best of the best? There's a whole process I have in the book for deciding what each person should keep mm-hmm. or what you should keep as you downsize. And I took two treasures that I wanted from my family home. One was a scratched plate uh-huh. that my mother used to make my favorite dessert on. I still have it. Another was I wanted my dad's war medals, as everyone else did. Mm. Um, and so I ended up taking the originals and getting six copies made and mm. um, framing them in sh- little shadow boxes. My oldest brother got the originals mm-hmm. and the six of us all got copies. That's all you need, right? I guess yeah, that's, the treasure. that's the lesson yeah. there. The yeah. treasure. You don't yeah. need everything. No. So like I said at the beginning, any one of your books is so helpful um, in, in, in the broad scheme of, of, de- uh, of decluttering and organizing. This one is very special in that it's dealing with downsizing in particular, which, as you say, is, is a little bit different. It's a little yeah. bit more specific. Yeah. Um, but, but the overarching theme, I guess, for lack of a better word, that I feel like you've kind of devoted your life to, your work mm. life to, is is helping people with mindset and helping people um, look for the positive, the, the, the silver lining yeah. through, well, through it, letting go yeah. of, of their stuff. Yeah, well, it, it comes back to what you define clutter as. And, and for me, clutter is anything that gets between you and the life you want to be living. So many mm. people, when you say clutter, immediately go to the physical stuff, you know, the clothes pouring out of the closet, Mm -hmm. too many books on the bookshelf, the boxes of stuff in the garage. And for me, that's only one small component. Clutter can also be communication clutter. So if if your communication is constantly negative Mm. or sarcastic, um, then that is a form of clutter. If you keep buying things as a reaction against um, disappointment or rejection or depression, mm. then your buying habits is a form of financial clutter. Oh, yeah. If you and your partner or are at odds in terms of how you relate to each other, mm. then, then those um, at odds skills in terms of parenting, that could be emotional clutter. Yeah. So, Clutter is anything in your life that gets between you and how you want to be living. And that's why, you know, I've written a number of books that could be about you and weight. You might have, you might yes. have um, issues around eating where your eating habits are a form of clutter or um, emotional clutter or money issue clutter, psychological clutter. Um, and all of my books look at at these different forms of clutter, but in every case, um, you know, it's about it's about changing, as you say, your mindset to to live uh, a better, richer, happier life. Oh, they're so they're so good, Peter. Um, I want to I want to start to wrap up by not really changing the subject, because I bet that all of this is winding through this other project as well. Tell us about Space Invaders Australia. (laughs) I guess 20 years ago, the very first show I ever did on American TV was a show called Clean Sweep. 
Yeah. Um, that show was different to, it was one of the first organizing shows on American TV. Yes. It was really at the very forefront of, yeah. this is before HGTV. I mean, this is yeah, like really on the forefront. It was, of- I mean, uh, the Discovery Network and TLC particularly were very kind of ahead of the curve yeah. in, in getting that show up and running. It wasn't so much about color coding shirts or, or <laughs> you know, building drawers or, or files, you know, um, color coding files, which unfortunately many of the shows now have come back to that are more about more about surface stuff. They're about the products, I feel like. Yeah. And the organizing I, products, what I can buy at the container store. <laughs> yeah. Um, don't get me into that too much. Oh, okay. Um, and I love the I love the container store, <laughs> and there's a place for organizing products. But they're all superficial, those shows, yeah. and don't at in any, they're about entertainment. They're not at all about helping people. And so, you know, my whole focus is what is really going on here? Why, why can people not let go of their stuff? Why is it that people struggle so much to, to deal with their stuff? Why does, why does stuff have so much power over people? And by helping people understand that, you free them from the power of their stuff. And you can see that um, mm-hmm. in people's eyes. And that's mm-hmm. the moment that I, I really love. Um, and Space Invaders is a show. Uh, we've just finished shooting the second season in Australia. Um, we've sold both the show and the format into Europe. Many countries in Europe have picked up the show. Unfortunately, it's not yet available in North America, which I'm very disappointed about. But so am we're, I. We're working on that. If you go to Space Invaders TV on Facebook, you can follow it. It's um, it's it's a great and wonderful show. I have two co-hosts on that show, both um, an organizing and a renovation show. Um, and basically, it's it's what I've always wanted in a show. It's um, it's a show that goes in and focuses very much on helping people understand why they struggle with their stuff um, mm-hmm. and deals with that at a really fundamental level while we do the most incredible makeovers in a period <laughs> of four days. So it's, it's wonderful. Oh, wow. Space, Space Invaders TV. Well, uh, so exciting. So, Peter, you know that my, I wrap up my show with the question, why does style matter? And, and I'm wondering... Also, we've talked about why stuff matters and how connected we are to it and how detrimental that can be. I I like your perspective on where we are globally, culturally, in terms of our relationship with our stuff. You know, if you can forecast for us a little bit as we're coming out of the pandemic in the West, we we have this curse of abundance, I think, that's part of the problem as well. Um, so I don't know if you want to talk about kind of what you've seen over the past 20 years and how things have developed in terms of our relationship with our stuff and how we mm. feel about it or where you think we're going. I'm very pessimistic. That's surprising. Yeah, I'm very pessimistic. I am, um, to be frank, um, I, f- I fear we're past the tipping point. You know, I spoke to someone last night who, um, who said, and I, I don't have verification for this, that we um, not only do we now have an oceans full of microplastics, but we also now have microplastics in our blood. Oh, yeah, I've heard that too. Yeah, and um, that the truth is, and I need people to understand this: that nobody really cares. That's what I believe. Nobody really cares, and and 
everyone is concerned, but nobody really cares because as individuals, we will all feel impotent because everybody has plastic bottles under the sink. Everybody still buys plastic, you know, bags of plastic bags full of grapes or plastic wrapped items at the supermarket. Yep. The world is so dependent on plastic. You know, global corporations run things now. I'm, I'm, I'm pessimistic about where the world, the planet is fine. The planet will heal itself. But um, as, as a species, we're, we're, a, we're a sad species. Where men can sit in judgment over intelligent women in public forums and, you know, degrade them publicly. Where one country can brutalise and rape women and children without consequence. Where, where one nation can, consu- you know, have a tiny percentage of the world's population and consume so much of the world's resources. Yes. You know, where we can live in a bubble and turn our back on the poorest of nations. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the reality. And we're all concerned. But the truth is, I don't think anyone cares. Mm-hmm. That's what I believe. And, and I'm, you're not yeah. supposed to say that because the moment you say that, Everyone rises up in outrage. Our, our our values and our morals are so skewed that you know I I'm done. So so I, I mean I'm I'm sorry, but but you know I, I'm tired of pretending that everything is fine when we vote into power people who are only intent on staying in power, and I'm sick of pretending otherwise. I I really appreciate that. I would much rather have that said than the pretending part yeah it's the truth and it's we have to face it i i sort of my thinking is that my generation our generation is we're not going to get desperate enough to actually make a change in my lifetime even though we need to do it now and maybe not in my children's lifetime, perhaps by my grandchildren's lifetime the the migration patterns the the devastating loss of food supply, all of that kind of stuff because of climate change will finally force somebody to either do something or it really will be completely too late. And I don't think we're going to be around to see that. So I'm, I'm with you. What do you do on just your regular daily practice to at least not fall into a complete depression. Do you feel good? Do you feel that at least you're doing something when you personally consume less, reuse things? um, Yeah, I mean, I try to to consume less. I I give to those who have less. I challenge opinions. You know, I try to step out of my lane as much as I can, which freaks people out. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and... um, I try to stay positive. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've, I've struggled with my own mental health for for, for much of my life, mm-hmm. and um, and COVID really knocked me about in terms mm. of mental health. You know, I consider myself a very very strong person in terms of mental health, mm-hmm. but I can tell you, you know, with two hundred eighty three days of twenty three hour lockdown in Australia, yeah, um, it was it was not an easy experience, and if not for 
amazing support from my partner who I've been with for 20 years and antidepressants, yeah, yeah, I would not have been in a good place. And, you know, and it's very difficult to admit that, but I think not enough people do admit that. Right. You know, that's why I think kindness and support and, and empathy are needed more than ever in a world of social media where, where judgment is the first reaction and violence has become the norm. So, yeah. you know, I try to askew all of that and to understand rather than judge and to support rather than slap. Mm. And that's been your approach in work too. Yeah, always, yeah. always. Yeah. Every, everyone, everyone is fighting their own battle. Everyone is fighting their own battle. Mm -hmm. And you need to understand that and approach every situation understanding that. Right. But at the same time, everyone has to accept responsibility for their own actions. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the more difficult thing. Yeah. yeah. Wow, well, haven't, haven't we got haven't we stepped into a more and I think and I think, but to be honest, that's also clutter. You it can't is. you you can't and, and this this is crass. I'm gonna be crass. You can't you can't create a shitstorm and then blow it off as though it's someone else's responsibility. Yeah. You have to accept responsibility for your actions. It's harsh, but it's true. Yeah. It, I mean, it is. This has been such a great conversation. Thank you. And this is why I love talking with you so much is because it's not about the stuff. It's about so much more than that. Yeah. It's about the deeper meaning of our lives and how we want to live them and, and our legacies. And uh, it's, it's so wonderfully refreshing to have a frank conversation. So thank you so much, Peter. Thank you. It's always great to chat. Okay. I hope that was helpful and inspiring. Do check out our website, littleyellowcouch.com, where you can see photos and links from this episode, learn about my slow style approach to design, and grab your free style guide to get you started on your signature style today. Have a great week. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening. I know your time is valuable and I really do appreciate you spending it with me. And please, please, please take a minute to leave a review for Slow Style Home wherever you get your podcasts. It honestly does help keep this show on the air and your feedback is highly valuable to me. Have a great day and I'll be back in your earbuds soon. Bye for now.